Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm here with Stretch herself, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Miss Carolyn Williams, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderfully. Thank you so much. My first question is, is uh, obviously stepping into something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre from the original groundbreaking 1974 classic, like what's kind of going through your head when you got cast as Stretch? You know, I was, I, I was thrilled, number one, because Toby Hooper was directing it. If Toby Hooper hadn't been directing it, I probably would have done it anyway because I was a struggling actress in Houston, but it seemed like a logical next step. Also, how's it feel being back on radio? Uh, it, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. The roles are kind of bookends because Stretch was just beginning her career and Amy Marlowe in 10 Minutes to Midnight is clearly ending her career and not of her own volition. Mm. So one young woman, the young, uh, the young Stretch, Vanita Brock, is, is strong, capable, on the move, th- making things happen, and poor Amy is having the rug sort of pulled out from under her. And it's an exercise in developing and growing power and the end of any sense of personal or professional power. All right. So over the years, you've you've carved out quite a, a resume for yourself, touching uh, franchises such as Sharknado, Texas Chainsaw, as we previously mentioned, uh, the the Reanimators. Uh, what has kind of been your favorite fandom to step into? I think because I made such significant changes in my own life, I spent a significant period being a wife and a mother, and once my children were grown, I could see the opportunity for, tr- for coming back. And I had done a wonderful film called Contracted by Eric England. I had also done The Incredible Hatchet 3, Adam Green. Those were great experiences for me. but. My life was not in a, in a place where I could transition to something more independent. Now that's happened. It happened four years ago. Um, so I changed everything about myself. My looks, I got a new apartment, everything is, n- is new. And having that feeling of being reborn, that rebirth, those are the themes that are visited in 10 Minutes to Midnight. Also, it, those themes were visited in Graham Denman's Greenlight, which is an absolutely remarkable movie that I urge you to see if you can find it anywhere. Uh, it's a great, great film. Those probably, those two films right now are probably 
my strongest moments as an actress. Um, with Amy Marlowe, I returned to playing a leading role. I haven't done that in a long time. So that was an incredible opportunity. I just can't wait to see where that's going to take me. All right, so a couple more questions for you. Obviously, you mentioned Hatchet. Hatchet is uh, Adam Green's kind of like a more like modern-day slasher. Sure. Led by uh, the very iconic, you know, Kane, Kane Hodder, who uh, also... Victor Crowley. Victor Crowley is also probably most known for playing Jason Voorhees, another 80s uh, slasher icon. Yes. What's it kind of like stepping in? Did you guys like e equally bond being from the same world? The weird thing is I, I had a far greater bond with Danielle <laughs> and with Zach Galligan, the incredible Robert Diago Doki, and I had the most incredible on-screen moments with Sid Haig. The mm. scene with me and Doki and Haig, it was such a weird thing, too, because Sid Haig had done a film in the 60s called Coffee, which is one of his better-known films. He played opposite Robert Diago Doki. In our scene in Hatchet 3, he's playing opposite Robert Diago Doki's son. So it was almost magical to bring these people back into the same sort of sphere. I had a single moment with Kane. My death scene with Kane is the only moment that I ever shared with him. Oh. I spend the whole movie talking about him, <laughs> and I never get to see him until he kills me at the end. Um, it was a little frustrating, I have to say, because I love Kane. Um, I, obviously, he's the king of the convention circuit, mm -hmm. and uh, he's got an incredible personality and an incredible screen presence uh, that I didn't get to share in very much, so it was a bittersweet. I mean, it's never too late. Oh, God, no. I mean, there, there, would, there could always be a possibility yeah. to work with him. So my last question is, uh, what sets our publication apart from other publications is that we create content which educates and engages individuals for mental health awareness. I love that. And uh, that, that goes to the heart of who I am because mm. my older son is autistic. And don't apologize. It's been an incredible journey. Obviously, it's a huge challenge for him. And it was a challenge for me, being his mom. Um, but I love, I love, I love this. And I love, and I didn't even know what you guys did when we started doing this. Surprise. But it, it absolutely goes to the heart of who I am. Well, I, I also didn't mean to, like, apologize for it. Because I, I know that like, oh, no I have worries. tons of friends who are parents and have autistic kids of their own. And sure. understand the, the um, I guess it's more sympathy and kind of empathy, I guess, is the better of word course. for it. Of course. And, and plus, the world of mental health and mental illness. Human beings are incredible creatures. We are so multidimensional, and that's only one of the angles that can exist within a human being. And I like to think it brings forth our humanity uh, in dealing with the mental, mentally ill or mentally disabled community. Sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's, once again, it's part of the human experience. There are plenty of human beings that don't want to have to be around the odd and the unusual, but it's part of what brought me to horror. So. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to, like, that's what the last question I wanted to ask, you know, you, because uh, I feel like horror kind of, like, gets looked down upon, and oh, from someone that is not only created, crafted a career early on prior to motherhood, 
left it behind and then came back to it. Right. Like, can you kind of talk about how the community has like embraced like mental health and community and like the importance of that? I think, and part of the reason my son is such a horror fan, he's my biggest fan. His big hero is Victor Crowley, is Kane Hodder. Because Victor Crowley represents the frustrations, the anger, and the feeling of powerlessness that comes from being unable to speak, organize your thoughts effectively, relate to the rest of the world, tolerating the inhumanity, often, of other people. And I think for my son, and for so many, because Kane gets a big uh, autism Asperger's uh, fan following, he has an understanding of them as an artist, and as just a human being. And they have an understanding of him through the characters that he plays. Because when you look at most of the horror heroes, so to speak, they cannot speak. Their body language speaks for them. Freddie notably being the only one. Yeah. Even Art the Terrifier uses his body, uses his gestures, uses, doesn't really speak. And so, it, it's such a unique... It, movies are about communication, and yet so many of our horror heroes are unable to communicate in the traditional way that we experience. So it's... it's I, I don't know. That's poetry to me. Oh, that's and that's something that, like, I 100% agree. You look at, you know, I was just... We just sat down with Charles uh, Cyphers and like Halloween's. He's so delightful. One of my favorite movies, if not so my favorite delightful. movie of all time. And so, like, you do look at things like you know, even you know, Leatherface and um, Victor Crowley, <laughs> and so much of these heroes that have become staples and icons for the industry that like they don't speak. And mm-hmm. Freddie is the only one that does. Right. And Freddie speaks effectively. Mm-hmm. Freddie is the smartest guy in any freaking room because yeah. he creates the freaking room in your head. So that's an unusual level of power. Um, but yeah, I I feel like I've been welcomed back to the the genre in a really wonderful way, mostly by the filmmakers. They've actually written for written things for me that would have been. Um, maybe unthinkable before. And I do have to throw something in. Uh, even among the women in the horror community, Barbara was the first choice to play Amy Marlowe in 10 Minutes to Midnight. Unfortunately, she couldn't do it because she was doing something else. But she said to Eric Bloomquist, the director, this reads like it was made for Caroline Williams. You need to go, you, she needs to be your choice. Mm-hmm. So that generosity of spirit is something that we often find among the fan base, among our film uh, partners, uh, distributors, you name it. Um, That's one of the things I think that makes us unique. Other people, the rest of the film industry can look down on us all they want. We're a multi-billion dollar trailer park. Oh yeah. So, fuck you. (laughs) Uh, So thank you so much for your time. Uh, Do you have any upcoming projects that you'd like to quickly plug? Not so far. I mean, I've got uh, 10 Minutes to Midnight making its final festival appearance at Shriekfest LA, which is the weekend of September 30th through October 2nd on the Raleigh Movie Lot. Okay. So that's, it's a big honor to show up there, and we're hoping that we do well. Um, basically, I'm trying to produce my own projects. We'll see how that works out. Fingers crossed. Where can people find you online? Uh, Willie Caroline, W-I-L-L-I-C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E on Twitter and Instagram. 
All right, you guys, make sure that you guys follow, and the links will be in the descriptions below. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and I'm thrilled that I got to speak to a group that so very much understands the world that I come from. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. If you or someone you know is listening to this podcast right now, and you're struggling with suicide, addiction, self-harm, or depression, we encourage you guys to please reach out. This is the heartbeat of why we do what we do. Suicide is currently the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And as of this recording, there are 132 suicides that take place each and every day on American soil. And when you scale back internationally, there are 800,000 successful suicides. That is one death roughly every 40 seconds. So if you were someone you know is struggling, you guys can go to victimsandvillains.net forward slash hope. That resource is going to be right in the description wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this. There you'll find resources that include the National Suicide Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. You can also text HELP to 741-741. We also have a plethora of other resources, including churches, getting connected with counselors, LGBT resources like the Trevor Project, and also Veteran Hotline as well. Please, if you hear nothing else in the show, understand that you, yes, you listening to this right now, have value and worth. We get it. Suicide, depression, mental health, these are hard topics, and the stigma around them doesn't make it any easier. But please, consider the resources right in the descriptions below, wherever you guys are listening, because... Once again, you have value and you have worth, so please stay with us. All right, I am sitting here with JR and Gypsy from Carn Evil. What's going on, guys? Nothing Nothing much. much. We're here at Creature Feature having a good time, man. All right, so I have so many questions. (laughs) Um, So many questions. For you guys who don't know what Carn Evil is, it is a sideshow. That is partly stand-up comedy. Um, I'm gonna throw that out there because we had a, we had a blast with you guys last night. Um, so I, because of the reach, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand you the recorder. Um, so which one of you guys got started first into this industry? All right, question for you. All right. How did you get started? How did I get started? Well, so. I, you'll see the, the plethora of whips I have hanging around my chest right here. I'm a humongous fan of the Castlevania video games. So I was doing a... Yeah, see, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was doing a manga convention a billion years ago, and I'm like, I want to go cosplaying as one of the Belmonts. I want to go as Simon Belmont. So I bought myself a real whip. I went to a ranting store. I got a real whip. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to... Oh, ow, oh, oh, that hurt. That, that was bad. <laughs> that was really bad. So a couple of weeks later, I'm at a Renaissance festival, and I have the whip, and there's a guy doing a whip demo there, and I'm like, hey, can you teach me? And he's like, sure, why not? So I drove like an hour an hour back and forth each way, like twice a week, to go meet this guy who was teaching me how to crack whips. So I would bring my whips to parties, like you do. And sure. uh, I was cracking my whip at a party, you know, in someone's backyard, and the guy's like, hey – you want a job? And I'm like, what do you mean do, do I want a job? It's like, well, I'm in a sideshow. I'm, I'm with Honor Amongst Thieves, and our juggler just moved to Russia. So, like, like do, do you, do you, <laughs> you want to, like, do that, like, on stage? And I'm like, yes. 
And, you know, I started working with the Honor Among Steve sideshow. And the thing is, is there's not always room to crack a whip when you're doing like bar gigs and stuff like yeah. that. So I eventually started picking up other stuff. I learned how to pound nails into my face and escape straight jackets. And, you know, 15 years later, here I am. So. So I'm going to be honest. It is kind of truly. I live for this kind of stuff, and this was my first, like, full-length sideshow. Uh, so I, I've seen, like, bits and pieces, like, traveling through cons and stuff like that, but this was the first time like, I've ever sat and actually just, like, been intentional to watch it, and what kind of training does it take to kind of do stuff, like, so for those that, like, are watching this, didn't, have never seen the show before. Don't learn off YouTube. Don't learn off uh, YouTube. Don't learn off YouTube. Yes. <laughs> take it from the professionals. Don't learn off YouTube. Yeah. But there's a portion of you guys' show where it's like you're sticking nails, a uh, knife in your in your uh, yeah. nose. Do the thing. Do the thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to do it for the guys right now. We're watching this right now. It's it's, it's 100% legit. Yeah, normally I have like a wood block somewhere or something. I'll jam the knife and just make it, you know, it doesn't retract. This is, ow, that's a real knife. So, so my, my question is kind of like, how did, how did the training for that kind of go? Um, and kind of, I guess, like guard people that might be like, oh, that looks easy. I can do that. You have to you have to get rid of first what's called the sneeze reflex. So you start with taking something soft and inoffensive like Q-tips and stuff like that, and you start jam it up in there. And like you have to really understand your anatomy. There's blood vessels and there's certain curves. Like if you have a deviated septum and you jam the wrong thing up there, like you could bleed out. It it would suck. So it's all about knowing your personal anatomy. And eventually there's there's a you know t there's a sphincter in there, yeah, yeah. you know where you actually have to like get used to stretching it and making sure you're not actually like damaging anything because if you take like a 20 penny nail and you've never done this before you jam it up in there you're going to tear something and you're going to have a really really bad time and you'll notice that everybody who does the blockhead you'll see them like some people it's this side some people it's this side like everybody their anatomy is different so you mm -hmm. definitely have to get to know what is going to be best for you yeah i'm i'm right nostriled <laughs> yes. um, all right so so my next question is obviously for gypsy how did you get get involved with Karn? Uh, evil. Uh, why? Why is it always parties and conventions? So um, I have a long sorted history with uh, carnivals and escape acts and stuff like that that I am not going to get into because nobody has that kind of time. Um, I went to uh, an event where we were talking about uh, doing artistic expression for another event. And uh, a mutual friend of ours was like, you guys really, you know, you should meet JR. And he was telling him, well, you should meet Gypsy. Okay, fine. And I went, uh, I met him, met up with him at uh, another, yet another event. Really do too many things. Mm -hmm. And uh, he had thumb cuffs on his backpack. Like you do. And I, I, asked, <laughs> I asked if I could have the thumb cuffs and I, you know, kind of a fidget. So I was just, you know, switching it back and forth and stuff. And uh, a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours was like, you're driving me carry. Let me see that. And he grabbed the thumb cuffs and he said, put your hands out. And I put my hands out and he slams it closed on my thumbs just as he goes, I don't have the key. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I went, it's okay. My bones are weird. And I pulled the thumb cuffs off and handed them back to him. And he goes, we should talk. <laughs> hey, kid, you want a job? <laughs> because basically, Honor Amongst Thieves, his old troop, uh, they had decided they wanted to move to Colorado to 
grow pot and be, well, one wanted to grow pot and the other one wanted to become a doula, uh, a midwife. So he's like, so uh, you want to start another side show? I'm like, yeah, sure. I mean, what, what do you got better to do? Uh, I had actually just lost my art gallery. So uh, fair. Yeah. Town, town thought I was too creepy, too dark, too weird, uh, too much tattoo art, too much horror art. So they wanted to get a, another person who does red covered bridges and cows. So, side question, do you have an Instagram for said art? Not yet. I have an Instagram, but I never thought about putting my art up on there. But I have a lot of my art up on Facebook, though. So, side side question, <laughs> can you send us some art that we can feature on our Instagram? Yeah, sure. Sure, sure. All right, tight. Okay, so you... Um, there hasn't been anybody down here all night. I know. It's, it's all good. <laughs> So your portion, your portion of the show is, uh, the big highlight is walking on broken glass. What kind of training uh, did you have to go through Physics. to kind of go through that? This is another one where you have to learn where your center of balance is. You have to learn the physics of walking on glass. Um, we do not... Uh, I guess the best way to put it is we don't gaff our glass. We don't use fake glass. We don't, that stuff's expensive. We don't use sea glass, which how many years would that take to collect up? Uh, we don't tumble our glass because that's a really good way to get hurt. Um, we just break bottles, throw it in the bucket. Correction. We boil and sterilize the yes. bottles, scrape the labels off, yes. then break them and throw them in the bucket. Yes. We used to. dangerous. You get a cut now. <laughs> We used, to, we used to do a thing occasionally where we'd break a, a beer bottle on stage and throw it into the glass bucket. Oh. Um, but then there'd always be sticky, icky beer on it. Oh, man, it was gross. And if it sticks to you, this is where the problems come in. As long as the glass stays where it's supposed to be, like when, you, when I do the jump, I'll jump in the air, I land in the glass, not a problem. If there's beer or wine or anything left on it, it'll stick to my foot. And when I come back down there's a chance that it'll jam the glass into my foot. So we have to be very careful about that. Um, preparation of the glass is important. Um, knowing the physics of how things move against one another is important. Knowing how much you can carry without falling over and looking like an idiot is also very important. That guy was really a lot heavier than I thought he was. <laughs> All right, we're not going to name drop anything. No, so. no. Uh, but yeah, so just, just for clarity, for context, uh, the the glass act gets increasingly like more and more dangerous as the show goes on. So it starts off with you walking on the glass, you jumping on the glass, and then finally picking someone from the audience to piggyback on you, and then walking on the glass again. Yeah. It's fun. I like that. <laughs> Especially if it's somebody who's big. Like I'm, I'm only five foot tall, so getting somebody who's like really tall, really big, is always one of those you look out at the audience and people are going... I live for that. <laughs> that. That's my thing. I love that, you know? All right. So I got, I got to ask, is there anything in the show that we witnessed last night that you guys did not do that is a normal <laughs> or maybe like a, uh, a variance of what you guys normally do? 
Um, well, normally at the end of the glass act, uh, I will put it to the audience like, hey, this has been really mean to Gypsy. Would you guys like to see her get a little bit of revenge? And I will get down nice and close to the glass and act like I'm inspecting it, and then I will slam my face into the glass with as much force as I can muster, and then Gypsy will come and stand on my head. That's normally where we end it, but, um, you know, we figured we were kind of pressed for time. People were getting a little tired. And last night was just supposed to be a preview of our much larger show tonight. Um, there's other objects I lift with my tongue. Uh, there's a bed of nails that we have. There's straight jackets. Like, we have uh, well over 30 different acts that we do that we can swap in and out as part of our show. So, Some of them are not as family-friendly as others. That, too. So. Um, but yeah, we, we like to pride ourselves in no two shows are ever exactly the same because there's always something new or something exciting or something we can swap in that there's at least a couple of people in the audience have never seen us do before. So I'm I'm out of curious I'm curious because obviously you guys are professionals in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was expecting to see blood last night and I'm curious like how you guys got it or like have trained yourselves like not to bleed. Alum and, and carny magic, yeah. <laughs> magic, the stuff that we hear. I mean, it, it all depends on who you talk to. Uh, there is a certain subset of the sideshow community out there that will say things like, "If you don't bleed, they don't buy it." Like, if you don't actually bleed, there's people it's out there that will think it's fake, which is always a risk. But there's people out there that think like, if we're doing something with fire, that the fire's fake. Is that fake fire? Yeah. Um, but there's also another thought process which we like to stick by is if we're bleeding, that's a biohazard, man. Like, yeah, you know, we try not to. We try very hard not to do anything. Like, there's one or two acts that we do where there is some blood involved. But uh, here, I'll just take that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm feeling rude all of a sudden. I'm like, but yeah, there's a couple of acts that we do that will involve blood, but we're always very, very careful. We keep it away from the audience at the point where we're bleeding. Like, there's uh, we collect tips by having folks come up and staple the tips to us makes us a lot of money but when we remove the staples we make sure we are you know segregated in a bathroom we're somewhere safe we put a bath mat under us you know and everything gets everything gets uh, discarded in a sharps container we have to be very very careful and we have a first aid kit that's roughly the size of a smart car yeah it's it's a big old caboodle and it's got sutures and you know butterfly stitches and anything you could think of including like granola bars (laughs) lunch Lunch sugar too low (laughs) have a granola bar but yeah um, there is stuff that will make us bleed. We try to keep it as rare as possible. Generally, if we're bleeding, nine times out of ten, that means something went wrong. Yeah. Or it's one of the, the one of the few acts that we do where we know there's going to be blood is actually one of the more adult acts that we do, which is a variation on the human dartboard. And that one I usually will bleed. But it's also something that we don't, do for like family shows or during the day or you know whatever we will occasionally do it for bar shows we'll sometimes do it at conventions if there's a late night thing maybe yeah. um but yeah that's one of the ones that we've we've gotten in trouble for doing that one yeah so <laughs> it's a little much <laughs> so obviously uh we were talking about this this morning with uh with carolyn williams and talking about how sometimes conventions um it, fandoms are kind of harsh at times and we were talking about this last night after you guys the show when we were telling you guys a little bit about what we do and stuff like that um so i'm kind of curious for like your guys' own like mental health and doing kind of like a really untraditional job like how's that kind of fared for your mental health over the years 
Oof. Loaded question, I know. Yeah. You have to be well, crazy to do it anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, do, you, you do have to be crazy to do it anyway. But, uh, I mean, honestly, I... I worked retail for a good portion of my adult life. Like, I, I was a store manager for a company I won't mention here, and it just got to the point where in my early 30s, I just couldn't take it anymore. Dealing with the public was just awful for my mental health. And the thing is, is eventually when I discovered, like, I have a stage persona, I can work on stage, it's really good at keeping me separated from people. I have a microphone or some form of amplification. I can talk over people. They can't talk over me. I have a stage or some other sort of barrier that keeps people from coming up to me if I don't call them up to me or if I don't welcome them into my personal space. It is very much a line of work that gives me really full control over who has access to me and who can get close to me and things like that. And that has been really good for kind of keeping me on an even keel. And it's interesting because, like, part of the reason I keep Gypsy around is Gypsy's a very, very outgoing person. I'm not. And generally, like, I get off stage, I pack up the gear, I go hide in the corner. You know, like, I don't schmooze, I don't really I socialize. Gypsy does that for me, so we kind of complement each other in that, you know, effect. And it's really interesting. Like, the more I've gotten out there and I've met other folks that are other stage performers, like, there's a lot of neurodivergence up there. And we all kind of use our time up on stage as ways to, as either as weird coping mechanisms or other things that kind of, you know, help us survive from day to day. And, you know, it's it's cathartic, I think, is, is the word. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be kind of good for it. For me, it's also therapy because he's... Um... Well, I was... Oh, I'm scared of touching electronics. I do horrible things to electronics. Um, for me, my problem is because I have a, a borderline personality disorder, I get very scattered. And the only time that I feel like I'm at all focused is when we're working. It's like a switch. Like my foot hits wood. I know where I am. I know what I have to be doing. I know when it has to be done. I know exactly how long this is, exactly how long that act is. When he says this line, I get this thing, it functions for me as therapy. It's a way to work through what I can't do and make myself able to do it. So I know if I can do it there, I can bring a lot of that out with me. I'm still working on it, but it's, <laughs> it's you know, we're all works in progress anyway, so... But yeah, I think like I was I just turned 42 when we met mm -hmm. and uh I got to say uh, as as midlife crises go, that was it was a pretty good choice. <laughs> that was that was my favorite choice. Best job in the world. I got to ask um you know obviously because you had talked about kind of like the the separation between like the stage and like self uh, what are some of the ways that you guys kind of go about, like, taking mental health rest for yourself? And also, can you guys kind of talk about the importance of, like, how important it is to provide rest for yourself? I mean, one of the big things is, like, whenever we work events away from home, like, you know, we're not doing, like, a bar gig or something like that, I always make sure, like, if we're working a convention or something we have to have a room. They have to cover a room for us because I need somewhere to go and retreat. I need to have a glass of water, take a deep breath, you know, mm -hmm. sit, center myself, and, you know, I mean, it, it, it gets to you when you're out here, you know, interacting with the public constantly, constantly, constantly. So I need to be able to have a place where I can 
take a deep breath, I can retreat. Or, you know, generally, if we work like a three-day weekend-long event, I need like 24 to 48 hours of recovery time when I get home. You know, I sit, I'll listen to music, I'll read a book, I'll play Skyrim for, you know, a couple hours. <laughs> I go into Fallout Land. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, Todd Howard owns us, unfortunately. But yeah, you know, it's it's... You know, all finding those little bits of self-care, you know, and things like that. Because there's been times where, like, we've done tours and we're just nonstop day after day. Drive eight hours, do a gig. Drive eight hours, do a gig. Yeah. And we don't do that anymore because it gets to the point where, like, I I can't take it. I get, like, weird homesickness. Like, you know, I, I miss my partner. I miss my cats. You know, and it just gets to the point where, like, I'm in another hotel don't you know miles away from home and i just you know i need i need my space i need somewhere where i can feel safe and i can take a deep breath and i can just you know wash all the troubles away this is one of the things that uh i'm working on right now i actually just started this huge project i purchased a not in very good shape uh old travel trailer uh a jayfeather travel trailer gutted She's, she's kind of a wreck, but uh, once I get her re- rehabilitated and turned into a home, she's going to be my home. And when we do get a chance to do more stuff further away, it's going to be our space. It's going to be a safe place that we can go that's away from everything else. You know, we don't have to worry about some idiot pulling the fire alarm at 2 o'clock in the morning at the hotel. We don't have to worry about, you know, somebody else playing ding-dong ditch with us, <laughs> knocking on our door and running. <laughs> um, and it's it's going to be that thing of, I don't know if it's like this for everybody, but I have problems when I'm at a hotel. I can't sleep in the bed that well because it's not my bed, you know? And I, I think it would be nice to be able to go to events and say, hey, you don't have to cover a room for us. We, uh, we brought it with us, and uh, it's my bed. You know. So you can pay us more now. Yeah, you guys will be able to pay us more. It doesn't have to go into hotel. <laughs> uh, but it's also because having a place that I can step through the door and it looks like me and it feels like me and it's, it's where I know who I am and where I am and, and having that, having that place to center and having that place to remember who you are is important. You know, it's just as important as things like some people do tea at night. They have that ritual. I have to have coffee at events. I have to have coffee. Very first thing when I get up or I can't function for the rest of the day. So, but no, yeah. I, I, I 100% get that. Let me. Oh, okay. Tight, tight. Hi. Um, yeah, no, I, I 100% get that. You know, you have to have those moments of like, they have to be important. Um, and when we started traveling, like, that was kind of something that, like, it's like, ah, oh, I'll be fine, you know, kind of ignore it. And then you get, like, a couple weeks into traveling, and you're like, maybe I maybe I should actually take time and take rest for myself. Um, so I, I, I hear both of you 100%. Tour lag. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, not fun, not fun. Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, all right, so my last question is, uh, where can people find you guys online? Uh, you can find us primarily on Facebook. It's Carnival with a K. Uh, for some reason, Facebook makes us have it in quotation marks. So, you know, open quotations, K-A-R-N-E-V-I-L. And that's our primary way of interacting with everybody and everything out there. I have an Instagram for us. I just 
it. I'm old. I don't want to learn new things. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough problems with the book of face. <laughs> And we didn't used to be funny, by the way. <laughs> oh, so this is, this is just accidental? Uh, so we ourselves are funny, but we tried to be dark and edgy and sexy and creepy and all this other stuff for years. And then we just were picking, it, picking on each other on stage one night. And people, think it's people thought it's <laughs> People were like, you guys are funny. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. It looks are and everything, but okay. But okay, yeah. So, so we decided to just be ourselves. You know, as much as we can, you know, we have these personas that are basically us magnified. And, so. uh, and that's actually like it's something that I when we go out and we interact with folks like it, it's kind of uplifting to some of the folks we talk to at events like this because conventions and ren fairs and all the stuff we work there full of other non neurotypical people. And when they see us, it's like we're just a couple of, you know, weird, nerdy people that to them we made it like a couple of years ago, like, I'm up on stage with another Renfair act that, like, I remember being a little kid and going to see them and, like, wow, and now I'm up on stage with them, and so I feel like when we go and, like, hey, you know, we're just a couple of weird people that like nerdy stuff, and, you know, we're, we're we got a couple of screws loose, you know, like, I have, you know, ADHD, I have social anxiety, she has BPD, people see that, and I feel like, at least to some level, that's inspiring to them, like, hey, you know, if we can do it, you guys can do it. Or you can find your own thing that you can do and become a part of the greater community, you know, regardless of you know what issues you may have. Even so. when you feel like you can't make it another day and you can't function and no one understands, someone does. Someone knows. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's another thing that I think we like to get across on stage is that we're broken humans. Mm-hmm. But we're funny, you know, loving, outgoing, mostly broken humans. <laughs> yeah. You know? No, it's always about, like, flipping the, the perspective and, you know, making sure that, like, yeah, today, like, might not be, like, in the best, like, state of mental health, but, like, I'm here. I'm living. I'm breathing. I have people in my life that care about me, like... My story's not over yet. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. All right, well, I thank you guys so much um, for it. I would love to step outside and get a bullwhip to end this video. Yes. Uh, all right, so make sure that you guys follow these guys on Facebook. Links will be in the descriptions below. How would you guys like to help us get mental health resources into schools, conventions, and other events? Well, now you can. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash victims and villains for as little as $1 a month. You guys can help us get mental health resources into current and upcoming generations, educate and break down stigma surrounding mental health, suicide, and depression. And you get exclusive content that you can't get anywhere else. And you guys can tell us which Nicolas Cage movie you want us to cover, and we'll do it. All it takes to get started is to go to patreon.com forward slash victims and villains, or simply click the link in the episode description wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this episode. Pick your tier and get started today. Yes, it's that simple. So quickly select the tier that you want and help us get hope into the hands of the depressed and the suicidal today.